Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Our, our reading comes from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19 this morning. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when it comes upon you to test you, as through something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, and you, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved... What will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. You may be seated. We may be blessed by the reading of God's word this morning. We have two more weeks after this morning, uh, next week and the following week, to uh, conclude our study here in 1 Peter. I pray, as for me, it's been a, a great study for you. What is this? whole idea of God's grace covers our disgrace, or God's grace over our disgrace. And what we've been studying is that God's grace is bigger than all things, and God's grace gives us things when we need them in desperate times. And that's where we've kind of been camping out over this last uh, chapter here in chapter 4. Chapter 4 is all about the sufferings of believers. Uh, if you remember that last week, we took a, a short uh, break in that idea of suffering and how do we suffer well and we talked about how we suffer well is that we stay in community with one another as a church how do we love each other in the church in the body of Christ and now Peter's going to bring us back into the idea of suffering and what does it look like for us again to suffer as uh, believers so before we go to first Peter let's flip over to Hebrews Hebrews chapter 11 if you remember we looked at Hebrews chapter 11 a few weeks ago about the, it's the Hall of Fame, if you will, of the Bible. It lists all the great heroes of the Bible. And then at the very end in this chapter, it talks about another group of people, uh, starting in verse 33. And he talks about David, he talks about Gideon, he talks about Barak, he talks about uh, Samson. And then he says this, he says, uh, Who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, Stop the mouths of lions, quench the power of fire, escape the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to, to flight. Women received back their dead by the resurrection. Some were tortured, refused ex to be ex uh, accept release so that they might rise again in a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were killed with the sword. Uh, they went out in uh, skins of sheep and goats, uh, afflicted and mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. And so P uh, the writer of Hebrews and Peter is going to talk about suffering. We are going to suffer as believers. You know, we looked at uh, Jim Elliot a few weeks ago, the, the life of Jim Elliot, a man that was on mission with God to take the gospel to a remote uh, tribe of, of cannibals. In doing so, he lost his life. And this morning, I was 
looking at, and this week I've been looking at the, the great missionary Hudson Taylor. Uh, Hudson Taylor went and took the gospel of Jesus Christ from England and went to China. If you ever have a chance to read the story of Hudson Taylor, it's an amazing story that one man had a huge heart for the continent of China. He took the gospel and he took his family to China and the stories that uh, Hudson Taylor went through to take the gospel message to the Chinese people who hated the gospel. It wasn't that they were uh, even friendly towards Hudson Taylor. They hated him and they hated the gospel that he was bringing. And over time, he lost his children. He lost his wife. It, it, there's one uh, a story about him and his house in China. And it, the, the, this group of about 10 men came to his house to uh, bring affliction upon Hudson Taylor and his family because of the gospel message. And Hudson Taylor and his family stayed in the house. And then this huge riot broke out. Over several days, it says that 10,000 Chinese people came to Hudson Taylor's house, broke into his house, and ransacked the house, destroyed his house, stole from his house, and beat him and his family. And then his wife passed away, his children passed away. But yet, Hudson Taylor stayed tr true to the gospel. And he stayed true to the mission that God had planted in his heart as a little boy. You see, Hudson Taylor was going to be a doctor, and the reason he was going to be a doctor wasn't for fame, it wasn't for money, it wasn't for any of this. It was so that he could take the gospel message to the Chinese people. And I wonder for us today, what will it take us to take the gospel message today, and what are we willing to suffer? And I want to talk again about suffering. Three things we're going to look at. The glory and suffering we'll look at. We'll, we'll look at... Um, God's judgment and suffering, and finally, we'll look at trusting and suffering this morning. And so what does it look like for us to suffer? Turn to John chapter 15, verse 18. John 15, verse 18 says this. It says, if the world hates you, know that it's hated me before it hated you. Let me read that again. Jesus is talking to his disciples. Just a few chapters later, he's going to go and die on the cross. And this is the message that he's giving to his disciples. Hey, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. The world is going to hate you, Christian. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy about this idea of suffering, about the world, it's, it's hatred. He says this, I hope this is true for us. Do we not want to live godly lives? If you're a believer here this morning, my hope would you would say this morning, if I came to you and interviewed you, hey, what's the hope of your life with the gospel? You would say to me, you would say to other people, my hope is to live a godly life. I want to live a godly life. I don't want to live a good life. I don't want to live a great life. Though those things may come, uh, they most likely will not come. But my hope for you is you would say, I want to live a godly life. And yet this is what Paul tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life, what does it say, in Christ Jesus, will be persecuted. You see, Jesus told us in John chapter 15, hey, the world's going to hate you because it hated me. Paul says, hey, if you want to live a godly life, you'll have to go through suffering. You'll have to go through persecution. John, his most beloved, said this in 1 John chapter 3, verse 13. Do not be surprised, brothers. Do 
Do not be surprised, Christian. Do not be surprised, fellow believers, that the world hates you. And so the question I pose to you this morning, I pose to myself is first and foremost, does the world hate me? Do I face suffering and do I face persecution? You see, I believe we're not facing suffering and we're not facing persecution. We've got to look at, are we living godly lives? Because the byproduct of living a godly life will be persecuted. The world will hate you. You will, as he says, as the world hates you, as the world hates you, as you live a godly life, you will be persecuted. So my question to me this week has been, do I face persecution? And if I'm not facing persecution, and if you're not facing persecution, are you living a godly life? You see, because oil and water do not mix. The world and believers do not mix and so when we take the gospel message and we go into a world that isn't willing to accept the gospel message the world will hate us and i wonder for so long for us here especially in america have we just become chameleons to the world have we just become what the world wants us to become tolerant You see, the world says be tolerant, accept all people. Become what all the people want to become. And yet the gospel message says to us from the get-go, hey, you are not to be of the world. You are in the world, but you are not to be of the world. There ought to be a difference between me as a believer and the rest of the world. And that could be a multitude of things. And so the question you and I have to ask before we get into the message this morning is, do I face suffering and persecution because of what I believe to be true about the gospel message? And do I live out the gospel message in a world that hates the gospel? Do we believe that? Do we believe that the world hates the gospel? That's a question. Do we believe that the world hates the gospel? You see, whether you like U2, lead singer or not, whether you like the band U2 or not, he has done more harm uh, for the gospel as a believer than I believe any man of his stage could. He came up with the idea, coexist. You've seen those bumper stickers? It's got every religion and it says coexist. Believers are not meant to coexist with anybody. We are to love everyone, we've looked at that in this text, but to coexist means that I become tolerant of all of what they believe to be true. You see, the truth is this, there is only one way to God, and it's through Christ Jesus and Christ alone. Do we believe that? And if we believe that, then we have to take the gospel message to a world that doesn't believe that. And then we become no longer tolerant. And when we become no longer tolerant in a world that is seeking tolerance, we will get persecuted. Are we willing to face persecution for the gospel? Jesus Christ himself did. Are we? You see, that's what he says to us in this text. The first point this morning is this. 
glory in suffering. There is glory in our suffering. We see that in the text. So how do we face suffering in order to get glory? He says this, and probably be helpful if I go to 1 Peter instead of Hebrews. Like, man, that, that's not the text I'm looking for. Here's what Peter says to us. Beloved. Who's he talking to? The word beloved is referring to the church. The word beloved is talking to the flock. He's a shepherd. He's a, uh, an elder. He's a pastor of a church. And he's saying to the church, hey, the ones that I love, the ones that are believers, let me, this is who I'm speaking to. And so if you're a believer this morning, you are part of the beloved. So he says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. So the first thing that we see in order to receive glory in our suffering, the first point is this, don't be surprised. Do not be surprised. Is that not what Peter just tells us right out of the gate? Hey, beloved, don't be surprised when, not if, but when, so you can circle that in your Bible, the word when, it's going to happen to you if you are a believer. The fiery trial will come. One of my mentors said this. You've heard me say it this, this way before. Three things are true about a trial. You either are about to go into one, you're either in the middle of one, or you're just coming out of one about to go into another one. Now, that's not going to make a Hallmark card. But that's true about the gospel. So believer, beloved, you are in the middle of a trial. You're getting ready for a trial. You're coming out of a trial or going back into a trial. And what's the word trial mean here for us? What does it look like? I believe there will be seasons in our life if we truly face persecution where we will lack provision and power and position and protection. If I begin to stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ, then I may lose some power in my workplace. I may lose a position in my workplace. And in doing so, losing protection, uh, I may not be able to gain enough income, but I've got to not be surprised by that. Or it could be I go through physical or physical or verbal abuse from the world. If I begin to stand up for what I believe in, you better believe, and I better believe, the attacks are coming. How do I know that? Read the gospel. The most holy, righteous man to ever walk faced persecution everywhere he went. And yet, if I want to be a believer, I must be willing to face that same persecution. I must be willing to face the pain of loved ones who when I come to walk in my faith, may reject me. You see, that's true for many believers across the world. If you and I grew up in Iraq or Iran, and we were, grew up Muslims, and all of a sudden the Lord and His providence sought us out and drew us out of a Muslim religion into Christianity, and He sought fit to do that, we would face persecution from our family. Many, many people come to know faith in a Muslim country, and then they are done with their family. More so, their family's done with them. But 
Is that true for us here in America? It might look different. Do you and I face persecution even in our families of unbelievers? That will happen. And lastly, a trial may look like those dark moments of the soul, depression, anxiety. I can't tell you how many times that I see people who are in a depressed state of mind, and so often it's a trial. It's a fire trial from the Lord. I don't know what your dark moment of the soul looks like, but if you're a believer, I guarantee you, you will have a dark moment of the soul. Jesus Christ himself had it in the garden. That was one of the darkest moments for Christ. And he, he's in the garden. He's praying out to God. He's so depressed that he begins to sweat blood. That's a dark moment. The dark moment he's on the cross and he's crying out to his father, why have you forsaken me? You talk about a dark moment. I don't know what that dark moment may look like for you and me, but don't be surprised when it comes. Not if it comes. It will come. The dark moment of the soul will come. The trial will come in your life. That's what Jesus told us in Luke chapter 14. Let's turn to Luke chapter 14. See, so many people, so many pastors... I'll use that title loosely, don't talk about the fiery trials. They don't talk about this next text. They simply talk about how good it's going to be when you come to Jesus. How this is your best life now when you come to Jesus. How you're going to gain all this prosperity when you come to Jesus. And if that's all they're talking about, then they're doing a huge disservice to the text. They're doing a huge disservice to this text and this text we'll look at here in Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14 says this, Now great crowds accompanied him, Jesus, and he, Jesus, turned and said to them, You see, his notoriety, his fame was beginning to spread, and therefore he began to have this entourage, and he began to have these crowds that followed after him to see what he was going to do. And then in that moment of seeing the crowd, seeing all the people that are coming to Jesus, he said this, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, his own mother, his own wife, his own children, his own brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me, if that doesn't sound like a trial, I don't know what it is, the cross, he cannot be my disciple. For which of you builds a tower and does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to accomplish it. Or, or otherwise, when he's laid the foundation and is unable to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks the ter for a terms of peace. So therefore, anyone who desires, anyone who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. My question for you this morning, have you counted the cost of following Christ? 
you, you see, it's all well and it's all good and all the prosperity that comes with Christ. But have you counted the cost of the trials that come when you come to Christ? You see, are, are so many believers, it's the only thing we're coming to Christ for is to get out of hell. You see, if that's all you're coming to Christ for, then you're missing what Christ has to offer you. And my great fear for us, the church, my greater fear for us, the American church, is, hey, we come to Jesus, and when we come to Jesus, we're really coming to Santa Claus, and then we come to Santa Claus, and Santa Claus gives us what we want. see, no one's coming to Jesus asking for the trials. But the promise in the text says, hey, when you come to Jesus, the trials are coming. They're going to be one and the same. They're going to go hand in hand. How come? Because of what Paul tells us in 2 Timothy. It's so that we can live a godly life. Is that true for you this morning? Is it true for me? Here's what one writer had to say, and it, it had such a profound impact on my heart this week. I want to read it to you today. David Helm is the theologian. He said this, We must go through the waters of woe if we are to arrive at the rightful inheritance. Wandering and woe are the earthly lot of any who desire to enter into eternal rest characterized by joy. Are you willing to go through the waters of woe to get to the eternal inheritance? Are you willing, am I willing to go through the woes to get to the joy? See, that's what Jesus is telling us in the passage in Luke. Count the cost. If you're a believer, you will go through woes. That's a promise. So the first thing on the glory and sufferings, don't be surprised by it. The second is this. He tells us in the second part of verse 12. He says, as though something strange is happening to you. So in our suffering, don't be surprised and don't think it's strange. You see, the, the word strange means a surprising thing. Like we ought to be so accustomed to suffering that it's no longer strange to us. Like going and eating, I don't know if you've ever been overseas and eating food, but there, there's some pretty crazy foods overseas that we would say are strange. I've eaten some strange food and there's been some strange meals that present. I'll never forget the first time I went to uh, Brazil. I went to uh, Rio de Janeiro and I got off the plane. It's become kind of... Uh, trendy nowadays but the first meal I got off the plane I went to this guy's little shack of a house and he prepared uh, a cheeseburger for me because I'm American I thought that's awesome not 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 like going overseas and getting a cheeseburger except he put a fried egg on it I thought to myself what a fried egg on top of a cheeseburger and then he told me it was some kind of other animal other than cow I thought oh no oh no but you see, to them, that's not strange to them because they're so accustomed to it. And I wonder for us, is our suffering strange to us because we're not accustomed to it? 
You see, when we start getting accustomed to things, they're no longer strange. See, it's no longer strange to Jenny. I, I leave my dirty laundry in the bathroom. That was strange when we first got married. Now she's become accustomed to it. I'm not saying she's grateful for it. She's just accustomed to it. And I wonder for us this morning, is our suffering strange still? Like when the suffering comes, when the dark night of the soul comes, is it still strange to us? Because Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, it ought never be strange to us. He says this, we studied this about a year ago in the Sermon on the Mount. But he says this, when it comes, blessed are you when others rival you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. He says this, but rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Are we still strange? Strangers to our suffering? Because Peter tells us as though something strange were happening to you. The next one is found in verse 16. Do not be ashamed. He says, yeah, if anyone suffers as a Christian, the only times in the New Testament the word Christian is in there. The word Christian in this text, it literally means little Christ. But for them, the word Christian, when it first came out, was a derogatory term. You see, we become so accustomed to the word Christian and all that the connotations it means. But when people were first called Christians, it was being called a bad name. I wonder how far we've gotten from that. One musician that I went and saw had this on his booth, his merchandise booth. It said this, they should know we're Christians by our t-shirts. Think about all the Christian t-shirts you've seen. That's not what it means to be a Christian because I, I wear a shirt that looks like it says Reese Pieces, but it says Risen Christ. That, that's not what he's talking about. I wonder for us as Christian just become some label that we've put on ourselves and it really means nothing you see back when it first was started it was for suffering and he says this don't be ashamed Christian when you face suffering let him not be ashamed but let him the one who's being persecuted the one who's being in suffering let him glorify God in that name. And so for us, are we ashamed in our suffering? Now, I'm not saying that we wear depression and anxiety with a badge, but I wonder for us, have we put too much stock into the depression? Rather than giving stock to God who's allowing us to go through the depression for something greater than the depression. Or is it for us, the, the, whatever it is, whatever suffering you're going through, do we walk with our heads held low in our persecution? Are we able to walk with our heads, heads held high because we realize there's no need to be ashamed of our suffering and persecution? Whatever it looks like, that's what Peter tells us in this text. That's what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. You see, it's because of the gospel of Jesus Christ that you're facing your persecution. Amen? And this is what Paul tells us. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. 
For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so I ask this question. Are you ashamed this morning of your persecution? You see, I don't know what that persecution looks like. But I do know this. Because I work with people a lot. And there's so often, there's so many things going on in this congregation that no one's willing to talk about because of the shame that it brings when we talk about it. And so if you're facing something at home, we need a place to talk about what's most shameful to us because there is no shame in the persecution. See, people that are depressed don't tell anyone they're depressed until the press tells us you're depressed. It's called suicide. And as a guy, as a man that has faced suicide from a very tangible way, my dad committed suicide, I did not know how depressed he was until the moment I got a phone call that he had killed himself in his depression. And I just think to myself, what if you had someone to talk to about it? What if you had someone to talk to him about his shame, about how depressed he was? How if you're a parent and you face things with your children and we don't talk about the shameful things? This is one I heard this week. A boy had gotten sexually molested. And he went to his mom. He told his mom and his mom said, we're not talking about that. 30 years later, he's in treatment because of a drug addiction. And both the mom and the son carry the secret because of the shame that it has. And I wonder for us, church, past chapter, can we become a place that there is no shame? There's nothing to be ashamed of because we believe the gospel message of Jesus Christ and in the gospel message, there is no shame. That's what Paul says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What if it became the normative thing to talk about the most shameful things? Because when it became normal to talk about shameful things, it would no longer be strange. If it's no longer strange, then it no longer has the power in us. You see, persecution is a wicked thing. Suffering is a wicked thing. But I believe that Satan uses the suffering and the bondage of self to keep us out of the freedom that Christ has to offer us in our suffering. You see, if you struggle with alcohol or pornography or drugs or you fill in the blank, all those are shameful things. But you no longer have to be ashamed of those things because you are a child of God. and You have a safe place to talk about the things that the world says aren't safe to talk about. That's true for us house chapel it's true for us here at this church which moves us on to the next point god's judgment and suffering you see peter uses the word fiery trial and he uses the word judgment and when we think of the word judgment we think of condemnation that's not what this word judgment means here in this text this word judgment or this word 
fiery trial simply means this. It's the melting down of metal to purge the impurities. Like maybe your judgment and maybe your suffering is given to you by God to purge you and to purge me of the things that are counter to him. It's what he tells us in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1 and three, one through 3. You can turn there. He says this about God's judgment and about God's suffering in Malachi chapter 3. <clears throat> He's talking about Jesus Christ. It's a foreshadow of the Savior to come. And he says this. God says this through the prophet. Malachi chapter 3, 1 through 3. Behold, I'm sending a messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom I seek will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, like a fuller's soap. He will set as a refiner and purify of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in the righteousness to God. And so when he says to us in this text, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials that come your way. He lists ways not to allow those trials to come. He talks about being a murderer. He talks about being an evildoer, a meddler, a thief. He's not saying, hey, the things that you deserve judgment for, all that list of things, you deserve judgment for that. That's not the trial he's talking about. But he's talking about this trial and persecution that the Lord allows us to go through so that he can refine us to become more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. My question is this. Do we often see suffering and persecution that's a gift from God for our purification? You see, if you're in the middle of a trial and you can't attach it to any sin, it's a gift from God for your purification. Whatever you're going through, whatever heartache you're going through, it's a gift from God. Here's what one writer said. If God is putting you through a season of suffering in connection with his concern for his glory, he has a desire for abundance in your future. You see, when we begin to see and understand that persecution and suffering come from God, we'll understand that these three, these three other reasons in the text, we will be able to face our persecution in these three ways with this understanding. The first one is this. We, he says it this way in verse 13, but rejoice in your suffering. Do you rejoice in your suffering this morning? Are you giving glory and honor to God in your suffering this morning? Are you glad in your suffering? He says that in a few uh, sentences later, in a few verses later, to rejoice and to be glad in our suffering. It's the idea of joy. Do you have joy this morning in your suffering? You, you see, I'm not talking about happiness. Happiness and joy are two different things. Joy is constant. Happiness comes and goes with the tide. Happiness is based on my circumstances. Joy is based on my reality of who Christ is. And Christ never changes. Therefore, my joy ought never to change as well. 
He says this, we rejoice and we're glad in it. And we are what? He tells us in the text, in verse 14. If you were insulted for the name of Christ, you are what? You are blessed. If you're suffering this morning, you're facing persecution this morning, you are a blessed child of God. That changes our paradigm on suffering, does it not? If we really begin to realize that suffering comes from God and it's for our good and for His glory, then we can suffer well and we can rejoice in the suffering and we realize we're blessed in the suffering. If you're suffering today, you are a blessed person. The definition of blessed means this. It's not only for the eternal reward that we receive, but it's for our present blessing. I'm not talking about a blessing that's coming after this part of eternity. Your blessing is happening now in the moment. You don't have to wait for the blessing. When you are blessed, it's a, it's a present tense word. It's not a blessing that's coming. It's a blessing you now receive. Are you a blessed person? Because you will rejoice and be glad and be blessed. And then it says this in the text. Verse 16, part B. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him what? Glorify God in that name. You see, our persecution and our suffering bring glory to God. As you are suffering in this moment, and I am suffering in this moment, it's for the glory of God. See, that changes things for me at least. That it's not about my suffering. It's not about the moment that I'm in, the pain that I'm in. All that is true, but it's for God's glory that that's happening. You see, that's what Christ understood on going His way to the cross. Though He was suffering all those things, He was going to get to a moment on the journey that God was going to receive all the honor and all the glory. And that moment was the moment that He was crucified, dead, and buried. And yet Christ was willing to suffer so that God would be glorified. Is that true for you? Is that true for me? Am I willing to go through suffering so that God gets the glory? Which will bring us to the last point this morning. It's trusting and suffering. He tells us that in verse 19. You see, we can suffer well. And we can go through suffering because of this last verse. This verse, some scholars say, is the one verse that summarizes all of the book of 1 Peter. So this one verse encapsulates all of 1 Peter. And this is what he says. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will. Remember, we talked about a few weeks ago. It's God's will for your life that you're going through suffering. God not only allows it, but God often ordains it. You see, it's one thing that God allows things, and it's a whole other ballgame that God ordains it to happen. See, God allowing things to happen is kind of a hands-off approach. He does that sometimes. But that's not what God's will is. God's will is He is orchestrating it. He is hands-on. He is allowing it to happen, and He's making it happen if we believe in the sovereignty and the providence of God. 
That God is not a hands-off God looking at you in your suffering in this moment. He is allowing you and pushing you from behind through your suffering. And he's got your hand in it all along the way. He is leading you into the suffering. The same way that it said that Jesus was what led into the wilderness to go through his temptation. Who led him there? It says the Holy Spirit led him there. The Holy Spirit grabbed Jesus' hand and led him to be tempted. How come? For God's glory. And we can only do that when we believe this last verse to be true. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls. Have you entrusted your soul to God? You see, if you and I have not entrusted our soul to God, if we have not surrendered our lives to God, then we will not allow Him to put us through the suffering. But we, we, we entrust ourselves to Him, then we say, I am not in control, but you are in control. And so lead me wherever you wish. Have you entrusted your soul to God? You see, it starts with us entrusting our soul to God. You must today entrust your soul to God so that he can lead you. And he leads us and we entrust our souls to him for two reasons in this text. Not two reasons only, just two reasons according to this text. Because of this, he is faithful. Do we believe that to be true? That God is faithful in our suffering? You see, if I don't believe God is faithful, I'll never entrust Him. If I never entrust Him, then I'm not willing to walk through the suffering. If I'm not willing to walk through the suffering, then I'm not willing to be in God's will. If I'm not willing to be in God's will, I'm not willing to live a godly life. So do I entrust my soul to a faithful God? And then, the only time in the New Testament, Peter uses this word. And this has to be true for us. He's not only faithful, but he's the creator. Do you believe God is the creator? Because that would mean that you believe he's the creator of your suffering. He, God's either creator of all things or he's creator of no things. We can't say, oh yeah, God's creator, but this part, I don't know. No, he's either creator or he's not. So is he creating your suffering for your righteousness because of his glorification? You see, all of God's creation is pointing us back to one thing. It's his glory. Everything that he creates is for his glorification. So even in your suffering, the creator of your suffering. I know that's not popular to teach from a pulpit, but that's what God's Word says. Do we believe that this morning? You see, this morning we're going to come. We're going to come to the Lord's Supper as creator of our suffering and as a reminder to us that God the Father created the persecution for Christ His Son for you and for me, for the forgiveness of our sins. And we're going to do this as a reminder as God being faithful and creator of all things. We're going to take this Lord's Supper as a reminder 
of Christ's suffering. And as you take this Lord's Supper this morning, let us be reminded of the suffering that you're going to and going through. It's because God is allowing it and creating it for you, for your good, and for his glorification. Let me pray. As a part of the prayer, I'd like to read this one quote to you. Christianity must flow to the ends of the earth. And our good works ought to provide strength for in the moment. May God help us connect the dots of His glory, our suffering, His judgment that is already making its way into the world. God, I pray for us this morning. That as you say in your text, that we would not be surprised by suffering. That we would not look at suffering as a strange thing. That we would not be ashamed of our suffering. And that we would see that you were putting us through our suffering so that you would purify us from all unrighteousness. And God, that we would entrust our souls to you this morning. God, I pray for any of us. If there's anyone in here that does not know you and has not entrusted their soul to you as their personal Lord and Savior, I pray that you would draw them to you in this moment. And in that moment, God, that they would repent of their sin and they'd turn from them into you. And God, I pray for us, the believer, this morning. I pray that, God, wherever we are in this spectrum, whether we're going into suffering, whether we're in the moment of suffering, or whether we're coming out of suffering, preparing to go back into suffering, God, I pray that we'd see you as faithful and creator of all things. God, I pray as we come and we take the Lord's Supper this morning, that it would be a reminder of your Son's great suffering for us on the cross. And it's through his suffering that we have life and have life to the full. And so, God, I pray as we take uh, this bread and this juice that we've been reminded of the faithfulness that you offer to us, that we would live full lives. And we'd surrender our will and our life over to your care. And we would see suffering. And we'd see trials in a whole new light because of your great suffering on the cross, Lord Jesus. I pray this in Christ's mighty name. Amen.